ITE Soccer Women's World Cup podcast, sponsored by Cadbury. From grassroots to national level, a supporter and a half of women's football in Ireland. Hello, we're two days out from the 2023 Women's World Cup final an all-European affair between England and Spain. Perhaps not a final pairing that anybody would have predicted, but at the same time, not not too outlandish. Um, I'm joined by Anthony Pine, back on the old sod in Ireland, and by Megan Campbell to preview the final. Hope you're both doing well. Oh, good, thanks. Good, Mikey. Good stuff. Megan, you're based in the northwest of England, so I guess I wanted to ask you, first of all, um, are you happy with the level of hype, are you seeing uh, dogs wearing Lauren Hemp jerseys? Are you seeing uh, white and red bunting all over the place? Are, are you happy with how World Cup fever is sweeping the nation? To be honest, Mikey, it's actually quite strange because you don't really see anything around around the area. Um, probably if you were go, to go into like the likes of Ella Toon, who lives in Astley, around the corner from me, you'd have flags and she's painted on walls and stuff. So that area is brilliant. But as a whole, I don't really see much much talk or you know about it or anyone wearing England jerseys and thing and things and I remember from when the when the men were at the World Cup and in, in the final and it was like people shut down businesses they shut down shops they they wanted everyone was on the street they had their button flags all over and I just don't see that here and I, it's sad really um I do understand there's a time difference um which is a massive thing in it because obviously and it being on a Sunday businesses normally won't be open anyway but you don't really have the hype or the, or the talk about it um now I could be wrong in terms of like I said more local to the girls area specifically there will be a lot of hype of course but as a whole um I haven't seen much that's that's unusual I, I guess isn't it Megan and it, it is as you say it's disappointing because I think usually what you need for you know, for for any kind of team or a sport to catch light is a bit of success. You need a bandwagon. Um, I would say the UK media have it's it's definitely not on the level it would be if the men were in a, in the World Cup final. Let's not kid ourselves. But you know they've been on the back pages. It's been you know competing with the Premier League and doing quite well in terms of media coverage. So the fact that there isn't a groundswell of, of support, I, I would imagine for a professional footballer like yourself, must be kind of a little bit sad to see or not see. Yeah, hundred percent. I think maybe it's just my area and where I'm living, and um, I'm I hope I'm not, not like you know taken away from all the people who are getting involved and and getting their flags hanging out the windows, or maybe it's just a little too soon and there's still two days to go and people are at work until Saturday, you know. So hopefully, come tomorrow there'll be a big turnaround and you'll see see the England flags flying everywhere. But um, yeah, I think it's important to to have the country behind them and and to see that support from back home because naturally it's miles and miles away and. And this opportunity doesn't come around often. It's the first time that England women are obviously in a final. And it's probably the first time where England are favourites to win in the final, regardless of gender. Um, so I think it's so important to, for the country to get behind them and, and what they've already done for women's football in the last year and a half um, in terms of the successes of the Euros. It just goes to show that, you know, this team are getting better and, and it then transpires over to, to the domestic league as well. Yeah, Anthony. I suppose a lot of people have latched onto the fact that the the semi final was the most watched TV event in Australia since Cathy Freeman won gold in the two thousand Sydney Olympics, and you know, uh, 
most watched, uh, more watched than Ash Barty winning um, you know, the the Australian Open. Um, sorry, was it Wimbledon? One of her, one of her Grand Slams, anyway. Um, so it shows that women's sport in Australia is very well watched. You know, there are three of the most watched things, and this is the kind of stat that Gianni Infantino was probably latching onto when you know he's his overnight speech saying FIFA was right, as is often the case. FIFA is right, and he kind of glosses over the fact that they're still spending less than half on kind of player fees or prize money as they would for a men's finals. And like what Megan's anecdotally saying, obviously she's not saying she can speak for the whole of the UK or the whole of England, but it does show that women's soccer, it's making massive strides, but there is still a way to go and like, there's no point in kidding ourselves otherwise. Yeah, um, I mean, there was a peak of about 11 and a half million people watched the, the Australia-England match in Australia. Uh, the BBC figures were, were very strong as well for that game, over 7 million. So, I mean, you know, Megan's, Megan's point is interesting. I, I wonder, I think the time difference is definitely a factor in terms of people going to pubs and bars and stuff like that. You know, it, it is 11 o'clock in the morning for these games, uh, midweek games as well. So maybe, um, you know, Sunday will be a different kettle fish final and, and perhaps the, the hype will be more visible on, on the streets and, and things like that. But, um, I mean, it, it's a complicated thing. Like, having been in Australia, you know, for, for the early stages of the tournament, certainly, like, it, it wasn't easy to watch the games. Like, the situation in Australia was that a lot of the games uh, there were behind a paywall. Uh, Optus won the rights to, to show them matches. Um, and, you know, that, that's a streaming service that is be, behind a paywall. It's, it's $25 a month to stream it. Now, Challenge 7 in Australia uh, had all of the Matildas games free to air. And, I mean, th th this is a, a really good example of um, having free to air sport and visible access to a success story because there's no question about it in Australia. Uh, the fact that those games are all free to air on Channel 7 and, as you say, as you, as you alluded to there, Mikey, the fact that the, the team themselves did so well, that gives massive oxygen to the growth of the sport there. And, and there will be a big impact upon that. I think um, the Australian FA are really trying to seize on that momentum already in terms of getting extra government grants and extra money and and, and building on this momentum. It's the same here in Ireland. Um, but there is a distance to go, you know. And, I mean, the, the, the I think FIFA's most recent sort of report, benchmark report on the average league and club salaries for the women worldwide is about uh, just under 13,000 euros a year and we are in a in a, a climate where in the men's game you know top players have been lured to the middle east for exorbitant almost obscene amount of money you know like that, I, think that, you, that, I think you could lose the almost there i think it's it, it is obscene <laughs> absolutely and point point taken so there is this mad gap there but, but uh, th there's been great strides and, and it's been you know it's been an excellent tournament but certainly like um you know that that phrase can't can't see can't be like that free to air sport uh in an instance like this it is so important because it, it's it's just whether it's the bbc rte channel seven like there's nothing like a success story and to have that platform i think we've seen it with the ireland women's hockey team didn't we a couple of years ago as well mm. they, they, they in the world cup they got to the world cup final and suddenly it becomes the biggest sport and story of the summer where let's be honest at the start of the summer it just wasn't on a lot of people's radars you know yeah. everybody loves a bandwagon so um 
you know, we, we'll see. I would expect that England, you know, the, the, the wider English public will be, you know, tuned in and maybe have the flags out on Sunday. Albeit it is a little peculiar that they haven't got on board with it more so from going from what Megan is saying uh, anecdotally. Um, but then again, I mean, even here, you know, I think like there was, we all saw uh, how Ring's End was decked out for Abu Darkin and there was other pockets of the country, you know, mm. Russia, North County, done for Izzy Atkinson and uh, Donegal for Amber Barrett. But, but generally it was um, a little, uh, if I can say a little, um, not, not quite as hysterical as you would, mm. A little low key. A little yeah. low key is, is mm. a little low key. But you know that that would have that there's no doubt that would have built the fire and got out the group stages and suddenly people sense that there's this great uh something's yeah. happening, you know, because that's just natural that's human nature that people will naturally clamber aboard the bandwagon as well. Mm. So um to, to matters close to the pitch, we'll get to the to the pitch in a minute, but I, I Megan, I'm struck by the, the tale of two managers here. Um Serena Wiegmann is adored in the UK by everybody, media, the players, the FA chief executive came out and said he wouldn't rule out for taking over from Gareth Southgate, which is interesting. Gareth Southgate's paid five million a year. She's paid 400 grand. Not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to it, but like the disparity is interesting there. And you said, no, no, it's the best person, not the best man. Anyway, she's adored. Um, she seems like a very uh, down to earth, uh, straight person, which people like, very Dutch. Um, and on the other side, you've uh, Jorge Vilda, whose own players don't talk to him. When he substitutes them, he puts up his hand for a high five and he gets, you know, he's left hanging. Um, you know, there are people, there's players like Verona, Veronica Bocchetti, who retired, I think, in 2017, 2018. She's saying half of her heart wants them to go all the other all the way and the other half of her heart hopes they lose because she knows there's people there who don't deserve to have a World Cup win on their CV and, you know, you don't need to be a genius to figure out who he's talking about. You know, there's players from Barcelona who aren't there because they refuse to play for him. There's, you know, Man City players, you know, there's Manchester United players who are like wonderful talents who aren't at the World Cup because they dislike the coach so much. And there was obviously the protest. Um, that has to be an advantage for England that they have a beloved, respected, tactically astute coach. And on the other side is a guy who seems to be, in a lot of respects, an empty suit who's not really a factor in how the team plays on the pitch at least yeah i would say an advantage i'm not too sure of because you can look at it in two ways you could say as spain players their togetherness and their their unity behind wanting to do well in a tournament obviously because they represent their country naturally for one um so they have the ability to do so um but two they have that united agreement that well, some players have come back into the fold now for the World Cup and made themselves available. So they still will have those views on Bilda, the manager, and will not, as you can see publicly, they, they don't agree with with what he is about and things like that by not shaking his hand and avoiding them in celebrations and things. But I think the unity and togetherness of the team is what is what's going to hopefully get a really good final and a really good performance from Spain. And I think ultimately it's... I don't want everything to turn to oh, build of this, build of that, because mm. ultimately, like what this has also done for Spain football, um, and what them girls have done, and and hopefully have, you know, changed, changed probably the next generation of, of women's football within Spain, and now they're hopefully going to become a dominant side, and they have quality players all over the field, and like you alluded to, they've got quality players that aren't even at the tournament. So I would like to think that this this one um, World Cup won't define the manager staying in position or 
the the background noise being forgotten about because ultimately there's obviously a big issue going on in the background that needs dealing with uh, regardless of the outcome of the World Cup final and I hope that is sorted out so that the players all benefit from it um, and, and other players feel that they can if they want to step back into the fold and be involved and put themselves forward to play international level to be selected that that, that is available to them because ultimately they don't feel um, like that's possible at the minute and it's quite it's quite cruel in a way because the success that um, Spain are getting off the back of everything going on, but also then they're missing out on that as well. So I'm sure no doubt that they'll be excited and delighted for their players and friends and teammates who uh, who are doing well within the tournament. But uh, there's that sour side to it. I'm, I'm sure that you don't want them to probably go all the way and, and win the tournament because then it's it's kind of swept under the rug as such. And People probably are thinking, oh, maybe he'll stay in the job and he, it'll all be forget forgotten about. And we don't need those players back, but you do because they're the ones who have grown Spanish football within the women's game for years and years. And those are the players who are playing at the top of their level, um, at club level as well, you know. And so they're role models for for next generations within Spanish football. Um, from England's point of view, obviously you've got a manager in charge who's who's been to four major tournaments. Um, that she's been a part of, obviously, two World Cup finals now and uh, two European Championship wins as well. So she's got the experience, no doubt, um, in all those tournaments. Unfortunately, she wasn't on the winning end of uh, the World Cup with the Netherlands. Um, so she'll want to right her wrongs um, in that sense. But I think they're a very well-driven team. And from speaking to players previously and friends, they... They know what to expect. They, they're like you said, she's very straight talking. So they know um, what she's like and what they need to do um, to get the best out of themselves under Serena. And um, I think that's so important when you've got a straight talking manager who isn't afraid to just, you know, say it how it is. And these are the things you need to improve on and work on if you want to get minutes. And um, you're doing really well, but also you can improve in this area. Um, uh, but she, it seems that she's got a great relationship with the players from all the media side of things that you see. Um, externally and from people talking within the camp. Um, she's she's loved as a manager. She's straight talking, but she knows how to win. And ultimately, that's what it's about. Um, and that's what it'll be about come Sunday. Yeah. Anthony, if, if Spain do manage to to, to win uh, this World Cup with, you know, kind of a, a manager who is far from, you know, beloved and, you know, you know they're, they're definitely not a, a united and entirely content camp, but also they're missing talent, like... Claudia Pina and, you know, uh, Laia Alexandria, like, you, you kind of think, even reaching the final, if there's a change in manager, like, he's very well supported by the, by the, by the governing body, obviously, in Spain, but if they were to change manager and they were to get all those talented players back, the three or four players who are, like, world-class players who aren't there, you have to look at it and say, like, you're, you're going back to, like, the Spanish men's team, at, you know, the, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you're looking at like a potential period of domination because this is a very, very talented group of players. It, it, it's frightening, isn't it? I mean, to, to, when you consider that the players that aren't there and you look at how talented they are and on the likes of Sam Paruela, uh, Paruela, excuse me, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, um, 19 years of age, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, like their their record on underage level has consistently been outstanding as well. Like they have won so many trophies under seventeen, under nineteen level. So they've had this conveyor belt for at least ten years, and this is the paradox. You know, on one level, as you say, and as Megan makes the point, like if they they could win the World Cup, so 
as a coach builder, you would say, you know, vindication for him. He's, he's led the team to a World Cup. But on the other level, it sort of looks like, well, anybody could have done this. I mean, when you consider the issues <laughs> that they've had, you know, over quite a long period now and the talent that are not at this World Cup and they should be here. They should be at this tournament. It's, a, it's such a shame that they aren't. It, it would sort of come to the conclusion, well, I mean, if they can win a World Cup, having come through all of that and had such a huge split, 15 players, you know, effectively stepping away from the team. Okay, some of them came back, but not all of them. Uh, and they still get to the biggest stage of all and and win it. And, and by the way, like, it hasn't been a bed of roses for Spain throughout this tournament either. Like, there's, they haven't been brilliant all the time. There's been a few rocky patches. Um, and they have, you know, they've come Hammered by that. Japan. Hammered by Japan, most notably, you know. So, I mean, at that point, who would have backed them to win it? <clears> I think a lot of people are looking at Japan and... You know, that's tournament football, isn't it? Japan just, they had their off night at the wrong time, whereas Spain, and I would say uh, England to a degree, have, have just built momentum. The, the, the most important thing with every tournament in tournament football is build momentum in the knockout stages. Get out of the group and then build, you know, just get out of the group. Don't don't play all your best football in the group stages. So, yeah, it, it is a frightening prospect for Spain, and that will be a discussion for them once this is done and dusted. You know, okay, They've done really well, regardless of Sunday, how Sunday goes. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a toss of a coin. I, I fancy England, but I think it would be very close. But regardless of that, yeah, they are going to have to have really serious discussions about the way forward here because they absolutely have a golden opportunity to, to clean up in the next, you know, four years, maybe even beyond that, you know, depending on what's coming behind them. That they're, As I said, their track record underage level is, is so outstanding. So, But you think, like, the Euros is in two years' time. And if this Spain team can in any way add to what they currently have and have some sort of cohesion and harmony behind the scenes, I mean, what are they? You know, they will take some stuff and there's no mm. doubt about that. To Sunday then, obviously, they don't have that cohesion and those players aren't there, Megan. And England are probably mild favourites, I would say, because of their, their track record, you know, their winning record over the last few years, you know, notwithstanding the fact that like so Frank Kirby and Beth Mead aren't there. Um, what's your view on what uh, Vigman will do in relation to Lauren James. She's obviously was their player of the tournament, scored against Denmark, two goals and three assists against China. And the two goals were fant- fabulous and she nearly scored. She should have almost had a hat-trick. There was one ruled out as well. But Ella Toon was, you know, along with um, Lauren Hemp was, you know, the most influential player, arguably, in the semi-final. So... It's it's a it's a pickle. Could she possibly wedge the two of them into the team, or is it a straight choice between one or the other? Um, it's going to be a difficult one, definitely. And I think, for me, I was thinking about this when watching the game the other night or the other morning over here. Um, I was thinking to myself, like, how do you fit Lauren James back into the side because they've done so well against an Australian side. Not only just the pressure of Australia, but also the fan base behind them, the performances that they have put in, obviously, like Anthony has said, like out of the group stages, they perform so well. And obviously they've done two of those great performances um, or one and a half without Lauren James. And um, she's a player that you can't really not include though, because look at look at what she's done in the tournament so far. Um, when England weren't playing their best football, she was the one who was dragging them along. She was the one scoring the goals and creating that that moment of madness and, and quality. And she's a player that, yes, although she's, obviously naive to what she's done and, and inexperienced in major tournaments and probably just a lack of concentration in one moment. Um, it, it's affected her, yes. And then 
um, it obviously is maybe now going to affect her choice or her selection in, in, in the starting 11. But regardless, I think it's their England depth to bring her onto the field, to bring Chloe Kelly onto the field. He hasn't obviously been playing a lot of minutes and scored the winning goal in the, in the Euro final. You've got players on, on England's bench compared to Spain. I think England, if it goes a long way, will probably be the team to have the more influential players coming off the bench. Um, it, more probably well-known um, but also, I think players who can just create that minute and mad of madness, and um, it's going to be a tough one because obviously, like you you said as well, like Elatoun has come into the fold, probably not underwhelming, but not performed how she probably would have liked to in the early stages, um, coming off the back of the success that she's had at the Euros. But then she steps up in big moments when needed, and she scores goals, and she's a player who will always run in to the ground for you she'll give absolutely everything for you and she's got that dogged and that feisty side to her game as well and so her alongside Stanway who I think have got a great relationship they could actually do really well in this uh, in this final together and I think the the game's going to be won and lost maybe in the midfield um, you've got Bonmati and Teresa for Spain who are very technical very very technical players and um, have proven that throughout the tournament and have been you know the the, the rock for, for Spain through the middle and being the start and the catalyst of their, you know, forward play. Um, but then on the other side, you've got Kira Walsh, Stanway, Ella Tune, who've all played together at club level previously. So they will have that great relationship. But I think when you do play Lauren James, you've got the freedom of, well, she's got the freedom of being able to run about and, and play in almost like a, a free role position. Um, she's probably more of an inverted winger than an actual winger outright when she plays. And so it gives that different dynamic. So it's definitely one that, um, Serena's probably going to have a bad headache about as they say and um, it's going to be difficult for her to probably make that decision ultimately on the day but regardless of who plays I think England's outfit are just they're so strong and and uh, able in, in every position uh, regardless mm. they're dynamic and they, they can switch positions and, and formations when needed depending on who's playing mm-hmm. Anthony the, the, there's as always with Spanish teams, there's not really much doubt about them going forward. They have an abundance of attacking talent, but there are question marks around this Spanish defense of not you know, most obviously with that Japan defeat. Um, that would seem to be their Achilles heel and England are, well, not maybe hitting the high high notes bar the China game. They do have an attack, especially if Lauren James comes back in and, and finds that early early tournament form. They have an attack that will certainly test this Spanish defence more than a rather workman, workman-like workman um, Sweden team did. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's interesting. Um, I was just jotting down like the tournament scores for both teams. They both have a very similar spread of goal scorers. England have three players who scored three goals. Lauren James, Russo, uh, Lauren Hemp. Spain have three players who've got three three goals apiece. Von Matti, Hermoso. Alba Redondo, and then beyond that, a lot of other players chipping in with one and two goals. So there, there's no obvious attacking focal point for either. They have goals, uh, both of them have goals in their midfield, uh, and even their defenders are capable of popping up with the odd goal as well. So um, it means that like we, we hopefully will get a, a decent game, uh, and if, you know both teams, will, certainly Spain, will have a go because they have to, I think, as you say. I think it is correct to say that, Mikey, like they, they're not really strong enough to just sit back and and try to sucker sucker punch uh, England and say the way that um, Australia would have liked to have done. You know, Australia liked to counter attack and and to be honest, like you know, Australia had the chances to win that game as well. Like this is this is the thing about England because they've won a tournament. 
when you get out, when you get that monkey off your back, psychologically, there's this thing when you get to the crunch games. Um, it's like it's almost like they were just that little fraction more relaxed in Australia. Australia nearly wanted it too much. Like Sankar had a, two brilliant chances when the game was won all. There was a header that she overcooked. Mary Fowler bent a really good ball into the box, she overcooked it. And then she snatched a glorious... Like, there's no player in the world you'd want more than Sam Kerr to be in that situation. And she completely snatched it. Now, that is just pressure and this mad desire, you know, on their home pass. They were so desperate to win that game. And England just have ice in their veins because they've been there and they've done it. You know, I know they are missing some really important players from the team that won the Euros, but they still have a spine of experience. Goalkeeper, centre-halves middle of the park right the way through and it means that you know Spain are gonna absolutely have to take their chances I think they will make chances uh, I think they will make opportunities because they are so good in, in the top third from the midfield gonna, but they have to make everything that they create more or less you know if they make two or three really good chances they have to take two of them because I, I don't see them shutting England out um, I think the only chance that they have is, is to outgun them so I think for as, as a contest from a neutral's point of view, if we you could say, um, uh, we want Spain to score first, would be my opinion, uh, to, to make it a game. Because I think if England get their noses in front, I, I, is they're good enough and experienced enough to shut the game down and make it a sort of two or three, relatively two or three nil, relatively comfortable win. So uh, we'll see. But I, mm. I, you know, I think as, as Spain, get, Spain get first, we could have a real game in our hands. Um, the question from the Spanish point of view, um, for me, Megan, is: I, I, do they start Salma Paruela or do they 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 keep her in reserve? I, they've been keeping her in reserve, and to me, I said it to someone during the semi final, keeping her as a sub is both the most idiotic and most ingenious uh, tactic going. Like it seems like it makes no sense. She's definitely among their best eleven players, but then she has such an impact coming off the bench because she's so fast. She's obviously a former sprinter. Um, and actually, on the day he retired, she reminds me of Theo Walcott when he was a teenager because she just kind of glides on the grass and she's so obviously like faster than everybody else. But like she has a lot of skill. She's not just a kind of kick it past them and hope to get like she's very skillful. She's showed she's a good finisher. She's tall, so she's an aerial threat. If if I was the Spanish coach, glad I'm not in a lot of ways. Um, I'd have her in from the start because she just like she just seems to be like such an obvious talent that keeping her in reserve. I get it, but at the same time, I don't get it. Yeah, I think we probably had the same conversation around Sam Kerr, um, and it was more based off Sam's fitness. But playing against England, the start of the not if the game goes one twenty, like one hundred twenty minutes, like you need, need Sam to be able to play those minutes in the dying end and take a penalty ultimately if needed, rather than starting the game and then having to come off because minute-wise she wasn't fit enough. Um, I think Paruela, is, if I'm saying correctly, is the same in that instance in terms of she's not played a lot of minutes, like a lot of minutes within the World Cup. So then to expect it to come on and, and start and play from the beginning, um, I think may be difficult for her. But I think she's the type of player when the game opens up, that's when her impact is shown at the most. And she scored two goals, uh, obviously, in the last over 80 minutes for, for Spain. So she is a brilliant impact sub and someone that you can rely upon when you need goals and, and can bring that spark to you. And I think for me personally, I'd still start her on the bench and, and allow other players to to tire out the, the English team. I don't think, um, I could be completely wrong here, but I don't think England will run away with it um, in the early stages. 
I'm hoping that it's it's still a close enough game that when she does come on the field, Barwella, she does have that impact and she has she can um create that spark because I think we've seen from England throughout the tournament they're not like well, especially in the group stages, they, they were a little bit shaky as they started to build up through the defensive line and they don't have the most pacey of backline either. So if throughout the game that becomes tired or maybe they're needing a goal and, and, and they're a bit more stretched and formation types change. I think it could actually suit her coming off the bench um, to come in and, and be that impact player for Spain and, and that, that bright spark because I think ultimately too that that also gives you a lot more energy as a, as a team when you've got someone coming off the bench who it doesn't just lift um, her, it lifts the whole team who are playing behind her and you know that um, the momentum as they call it it's, it shifts sometimes um, and we've seen that twice when, when she's come onto the field um, for Spain so I would definitely keep her as an impact player, um, which is obviously not nice to say. And as a player, she's going to want to be playing because she's performing and scoring goals. But I think she'll, as a player, know her role within the squad and, and know what's asked of her when, when called upon. And, and she's taking it with both hands twice when called upon. Um, so I don't see much change in that sense, but she'll know her role and she's a professional athlete and she'll give everything she can when, when, when called upon. We, we saw that we saw that Megan as well, didn't we? In the Nigeria Australia match, they held back Oshwala. Uh, yeah. Now I know she was not hundred percent fit, but they held her back till the arrow mark, and it completely swung the game. Like you know, it was one all, and she comes on, and it just changes the, the whole momentum of that match. It almost gives you like a not a fright as a defender, but when you see someone as so influential coming off the bench, and you're a centre half or you're you're a fullback, and you're thinking. Oh no! Like we we were probably in momentum. We probably got a lot of the ball, but now we've got to be really aware of uh, this player coming onto the field who can make a massive impact, and we can't shut off or or be not lazy or cutting corners in any way because they will punish us. And she's proven that. Um, and yeah, like when Oshawa came on the pitch, the the crowd obviously um got was not got behind them because obviously it was Australia, but like there was that oh when she's coming mm. on and, and she starts to make impacts and, and the crowd goes quieter. And I think it's brilliant to have a player like that who can come onto the field and just be an out-and-out striker, an out-and-out player who's just going to run the legs off herself. Like, if you knock the ball into the corner as an out ball to relieve pressure, you know that them players are going to run after it. And it actually could possibly cause, like, an attacking moment for you rather than just relieving pressure for yourself. So I think she's the type of player, Peruela, who can come on uh, and be that influential player I mean we've seen it in the Sweden game she was absolutely brilliant when she came onto the field and she deserved that goal um it's crazy to think that she was obviously an Olympic sprinter and not or possibly yeah going mm. into the, the the running world rather than football I mean what a loss that would have been for for Spanish football but also world football to not see her on the biggest stage and and I'm glad we're seeing her and could possibly also be a three-time World Cup winner. Um, obviously, like you said, Anthony, their underage setup the age is, of 19. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, their underage setup's amazing, and so to to be in with a possibility of winning a third World Cup at 19 is just it's just mind-boggling. Um, but that's the type of player she is, and obviously a great talent. Yeah, and you you know Serena Wiegmann, there will be that plan when they see her name coming up on the on the board. The England will have a plan. It won't be a case of oh god, here she comes. It'll be okay, here she is. Now we we were waiting for this. So you know, a manager like Serena Vigman won't be taken. You know, it's not going to catch her on the hop. They will know what to do. They'll know that you know, obviously, the left channel is going to become very important, and they're going to probably have to sit back a little bit further. And like, they won't want to be leaving any space behind because you know 
10 meters quicker than anybody else isn't it like so um it, it won't be a surprise but the fact of the matter is she's so quick so talented and so so impactful that even if england have a plan there's a chance she could swing it yeah 100 percent. yeah okay prediction time guys anthony's already kind of hinted at his so i'll let you go megan do you think do you think england are going to do it or can you see um, i've said this before so i think it's going to be a close one in the 90 minutes i said 2-2 um, in 90 and then I think England will win it outright in the extra time I don't think it'll go as far as penalties I just think like with the quality that they have to bring onto the field um, their depth seems a lot more um, even though they're missing major players I still think their depth is, is better than Spain's um, more more experience too so I expect uh, England to win it in extra time Nice, I was praising Anthony earlier in the tournament for his very very um, precise predictions for Ireland but I don't think he ever went as precise as 2-2 in 90 minutes and England to win an extra time that's very precise I, Anthony what I minute will <laughs> yeah yeah Anthony what minute will the winner be scored in <laughs> well I I, I I won't uh I won't go as far as the minute I, I'd say 2-1 to England I, I just think um I've actually I mean not to sound wise after the event because this has been a wide open tournament uh, it's been a great tournament and um I think any metric or one of the two metrics of the tournament in terms of how enjoyable or quality of them is um has there been many shocks and has there been many really really good games and i think that this world cup has has passed both of those mm. or ticks both of those boxes uh, but i do think and i have felt for a while that england just look like champions they've, they've got that market <clears> champions and it's not because they've been brilliant or swashbuckling it's the opposite they've just done enough you know they passed every test that's faced them they, they always just seem to have a little bit more uh, and I expect it will be the same uh, on Sunday. And the thing about them as well, I will say this, and you know, this isn't for the purists, but they they have a cynical streak in them. Like when, that's how they. Sam Kerr came in for quite a bit yeah. of punishment. You know, England are not above that. Like they they will look if they need to do that, they will do that. If they feel they're very good at playing the game in their own terms, so if they have a lead to protect and slow it down. That might mean tactical fouling. It might mean taking their time with throw-ins. If they're chasing the game, they're going to quickening things up, stretching things up. I just think the bank of experience they have, the manager that, that they have, and, and the personnel they have, they, they'll have a little bit too much for Spain. But it won't. I agree with Megan. I, I think it will be tight. And I will say 2-1. Okay. I'm going to make it a hat-trick if England wins. I, I'm actually... I, I'd be... I would really like this Spanish team to win for a lot of reasons. And then like everybody else, I kind of like them not to win as well. But um, I do think England, I think you're right. I think they're just more streetwise. Um, they're more kind of, yeah, they've got more tournament experience. And um, I think, I also think that um, Lauren James coming back in is going to be quite a factor. She's going to be highly motivated. So that's the way I see it going. Um, you can, of course, watch it. Uh, live coverage on RTE2 and the RTE player from 10 a.m on Sunday morning with the match kicking off at 11. We'll have a live blog and report and everything else on the RT website and the RT News app. And if you want to watch the third, fourth playoff, that's on Saturday too, but third, fourth playoffs are a, they're a, <laughs> they're a niche, <laughs> a niche watch, I think, for most people, but it's there, Australia and Sweden, if that's your, if that's your bag, that's on tomorrow on Saturday. Um, so thank you very much to Megan and to Anthony, and we'll be back on Monday to review the final. So we'll chat to you then. Good luck. Shut the show down I was spinning, couldn't slow down On the roll now A supporter and a half Likes, shares, comments and tweets 
Cadbury sponsors RTE Soccer Women's World Cup podcast.